1: This episode of Open Mind is brought to you in association with Very.co.uk. I love my sleep. Curling up under the duvet after a long day is heaven. And a perfect bedtime routine, exercise and relaxation are super important. From mattresses by Sealy, Silent Night and Airsprung to extra warm duvets to keep you feeling toasty. At Very you'll find everything you need for the sleep you've always dreamed of. It's time to live well, sleep well, eat well, and spend well at Very.co.uk. So today, with me on the podcast, I have Dynamo, aka Stephen Frain, Is that how you say his name? I didn't even realize you had a real name until today (laughs) which is ridiculous um and i said to you before and you said even your friends call you dynamo well
0: like a lot of them call me d or um, Ah, stee which kind of sounds the same anyway yeah Um, i think a lot of it is when um when i'm out in public with my friends then they might just refer to me as d um but then when we're behind closed doors everyone's like yeah Stephen. Yeah. Or if I'm if my wife's angry at me, Stephen gets said a lot.
1: I feel like that's the same with everyone, though. That's the only time you ever hear, like, I'm Francesca, and that, the only time I'm ever Francesca is when I'm in trouble. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know it's bad when your real name's being used. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so you are a magician. Yeah. Were you a magician when you were younger? Because I just find this fascinating. Like, at what point in your life were you like, this is what I want to do?
0: Since magic came into my life, I think that it's definitely taken over it. I first did magic when I was 11. Right. And from then on, I wanted it to be the thing I did for the rest of my life. But I had many people telling me that you can't make a career in magic, you know, get a proper job, you know, that sort of thing. Obviously, between the ages of, like, 11 and, like, 15, 16, when you're still at school... Like, everyone was telling me, you know, stop messing with the cards, you know, focus on your schoolwork. And, you know, in some respects, they were right. Obviously, it's important to focus on education. Um, But I think magic was my calling once it came into my life. I first was introduced to magic by my grandpa when I was about seven.
1: Right. But
0: I didn't ever think that it was something that I'd be able to do myself. You know, my grandpa used to perform magic. Oh, really? Yeah, he wasn't a magician by trade. Mm-hmm. He was—he was actually he worked in the mills in Bradford. Um, obviously, there was a lot of uh, silk mills and wool mills in Bradford back in in his time. And then he got drafted for World War II. and he basically somehow picked up some magical skills along his crazy journey throughout the war. And he'd use it to impress people so that he could get free stuff because back then, when when food was on rations. Mm. Like, it was hard to kind of, you know, to f- provide for your family. So he would use magic to try and press people to get free things.
1: Oh, that's amazing.
0: And then he always used to show me things. But I just thought he was just, my grandpa's a wizard. Like, my grandpa just does the most <laughs> amazing things. I didn't think it was, uh, you know, something that I would ever do myself. But then when I went to uh, upper school, because we're in Bradford, we had... We have a first school, like primary school, then we go to a middle school, and then we went to upper school. Okay. I know that there's different systems set up yeah. around the country and stuff like that. Um, so when I went to upper school, I used to get bullied quite a lot. I was, mm. I kind of was a bit of a late bloomer. I was smaller than the other kids in my year. Uh, I was an easy target, and kids can be cool, mm-hmm. uh, as you, know, you might know. So my grandpa picked me up from school one day, and he saw some kids put me into a wheelie bin. And, oh. then, and then they'd take me to the top of the hills that was in the White Manor, like playing fields. And they'd push me down the hill in the wheelie bin. And he showed me a technique to stop them being able to lift me. Right. To make me feel like I weighed like 100 tons or whatever, you know, like, so it was impossible to move. I didn't think it would work, but I tried it the next day when they tried to put me in the bin again. And they couldn't move me. no. So that was kind of the first time I'd ever done magic. It wasn't to perform or to entertain people. It was literally to save myself for humiliation of getting put in that bin, which was happening for like two weeks straight up until that point. And then throughout my school years, it kind of, it helped me, but it did alienate me a little bit.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, I kind of feel like like from movies and things like back in the day, like a magician at school would be like, uncool like people yeah, would think like it was definitely... weird or uncool or all the complete opposite like you've turned it around now you're older but I imagine when you were younger it was probably difficult
0: like in school. my head magic was always cool yeah because my grandpa was the coolest man I knew and what he did I thought was amazing and then when I started doing it you know I kind of just got caught by the magic bug and it was the coolest thing ever but I do think the preconception that other people have about magic, especially in that time, you know, it was kind of after the Paul Daniels era Mm. and magic hadn't really kind of moved forward and kind of kept up with the times. So it was like kind of... Rabbits out of
1: a hat. Yeah, yeah. yeah, So
0: it was very old-fashioned. So me doing it, it was, you know, I was already getting bullied for being the smallest kid and for for having a mixed-race background and for growing up on a, you know, very, like, notorious... Counselor, and my dad in jail and all that sort of thing. So I had kind of a lot of a lot of stuff that made me an easy target from, mm. from me off. But then to do magic, you know, I was now this this skinny kid who also was a bit of a weirdo who did magic. <laughs> but the magic I did, the stuff that my grandpa had shown me at the time, was magic that scared people away from me.
1: Oh, really? Which, so people were frightened?
0: Yeah, they thought I was like some crazy demon child. <laughs> and, they, and
1: how did that make you feel, though? Because I'm guessing before... You felt, I mean, how did you feel when you were being bullied and stuff? It must have been horrible.
0: It was horrible, but in some respects, I didn't know any different.
1: But that's sad. Like as a kid, like you didn't know any different other than people picking you up and putting you in a wheelie bin. And
0: yeah, but like I think the fa- the naivety of not realizing that that's how life should be. Yeah, not realizing that you know some people have. At that time, people have families where both parents are present or where they can afford to, you know, buy school uniforms and they're not having to go yeah. to the thrift store to get second-hand stuff or get hand-me-downs. You know, everything that I was living through in my life, like the council estate I grew up on, which everyone would say is like a rough area, for me, it was like, I didn't I didn't see it as a rough area. I saw it as home. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, and I've, my nana always said that I kind of have a bit of a sunny disposition. Mm-hmm. I've always try and find the positive out of every negative situation. And, yeah, growing up there and going through all that, I think, yeah, it was kind of horrible looking back, realising what was going on. But I wouldn't be the person I am today mm. having not been through that.
1: Well, I suppose you wouldn't have um, done the magic trick that your exactly. grandmother taught you and kind of started you on the journey that you did. And then when you, when everyone started being scared of you, did that make you feel good or... I don't know
0: a, a little bit. Like <laughs> I definitely uh, took a little bit of a uh, pride in the fact that yeah, mess with me now, have people. That. Yeah. yeah, have some of that. Like yeah, it was a uh, it was definitely a uh, it it helped me a lot. But at the same time, it massively alienated me. So, so you like, didn't have
1: any other friends that were in not really? Something.
0: I had I had a few people that you know that were friends of mine that kind of just accepted that I was a bit weird. Yeah, um, and they just liked me for who I was. And and I think I was definitely a misunderstood child.
1: Well, you didn't fit into the box no. that like everyone thinks every child. I, I was not fit a
0: conformist in. whatsoever, <laughs> and I didn't have parents around me to guide me. Right. Like I see my grandpa at the weekends, you know, and occasionally pick me up from school. Uh, you know, my mum, she was really young when she had me, and then she was at university and studying herself, trying to. But you know get get create a life for us, mm. um my dad was not around, and I just used to hear stories about the stuff he used to get up to, which was why he was in jail mm. and then you know the people on the estate that I lived in weren't exactly the best role models mm-hmm. you know the paths that I could have taken could have been massively mm. different Well I was
1: going to say you did well to avoid kind of getting caught up in like peer pressure and you could have easily have gone down a bad route, and instead you kind of stuck to who you were, and went the weird route, as you said. Like people thought you were weird. Like that's amazing, really. Yeah, and look yeah. What you've have done to, with you it. have to
0: embrace the weirdness. Yeah. If if you know, if we're all the same, then we'd be boring.
1: Yeah, like, I I really encourage my kids to like not be the same as everyone. Like my biggest hope is that they don't want to be popular at school. I would, I would be happier if they weren't the popular kid at school because I just think most of those kids that were popular at my school they've kind of not really become anything or like weren't their own person. Yeah, Whereas yeah, I, yeah. I feel like the other, I feel like the other kids uh, are the ones that kind of I don't know push forward and become who they are. And I don't know, I'd rather that.
0: Well, I've I've found like some people often ask me, you know, like what advice would you kind of give to to young people, mm. you know, growing up. And the one thing that I've definitely realised, which is kind of leading on to what you were just talking about, is that every negative thing or experience that you went, that you go through at school, right? No matter what someone says to you, none of it matters when you're an adult. Yeah. Like, literally, none of the bad stuff that happened, all the you know the, pe- the people saying to me, "You can't do this, you can't do that," like they have no relevance in my life right now. And and I think it's very easy when you're younger to kind of take things so personally that it affects you and you think it's going to, you think your life is over before you're even, before you even had a life. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So I think, yeah, um, you know, if any younger people listening that that are having, you know, feel like they're having the worst time of their life right now, like, you know, it can get better and it will get better. Mm-hmm. And just don't, you know, don't take things to heart so much because it's, you know, if people are cool. But often it's, it reflects more on them than it does you.
1: Yeah, and you were one of four, right? Yes. So that must have been like crazy. Were they? I were, was the oldest. Oh, you were the oldest. Yeah, you were kind of like looking after. Everyone. I was
0: definitely an accident. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> I was not planned.
1: Okay. Yeah. <laughs> How does that make you
0: feel? So? <laughs> um, I'm a happy accident, you know. I'm sure. Um, but yeah, yeah, like you know, I think I'm like. Eight years older than my sister. Oh, okay. And maybe even older than that, actually. That's bad in it. So you, so you there, were on your is.
1: own for quite a while then.
0: Yeah, like I remember, I I remember changing my sister's nappies and stuff like that. Oh, Okay. Like, I was like, I was old enough to babysit for my little sister oh, okay. when you know when when she was born, and then I had a, a brother who was a year younger than my sister, and then and, and another brother who he's like he was about. I mean, Troy, my youngest brother, there's about 20 years difference between us. Oh, okay. like
1: so it's not even like you had your siblings to kind of back you up when you were little, really, either. No. no. Like,
0: I had to look after them.
1: Yeah. Well, clearly, if you were changing nappies.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, but we've we got, a, you know, we have a quite a close bond because of that. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I was, I'm happy that they've been able, because of the, difference in you know the time generation difference between us they've been able to have a better life growing up possibly than what I had yeah you know they've had you know most more stability in their lives like their fathers um yeah my two brothers father's kind of been a constant kind of in their life Mm -hmm. um my sister's dad's not been around but you know but she's had you know a family around that's kind of looked after them Mm -hmm. whereas you know I didn't have that myself so I'm kind of happy that they've kind of got all that Mm.
1: And then how did you then go from doing magic to scare people at school <laughs> to then being in Dynamo?
0: So when I left school, I went to college, Butler School of Art and Design, at part of Dewsbury College. And I was studying to do graphic design and media studies, like video editing, that sort of thing. Um, and it was I was partly pursuing a path that my grandma and my mum and everyone wanted me to do. They said, you know, they didn't think that magic was a career path. In the back of my head, in my mind, that was my passion, that's what I wanted to do. I didn't want to do anything but that. But I went to college anyway and I spent, you know, a year and a half just I finished one course, started a new course, and halfway through it, I just realized that it wasn't for me. And I also was pretty much paying for my college tuition from doing magic gigs. Oh, okay. So I was already kind of working the scene, you know. Mm. And I mean, even to the point where the universities around and the college itself was booking me to do magic <laughs> shows and they, were, and they would say to me like, oh, you know, I'm like, yeah, but I've got this assignment I've got to get in tomorrow. So how can I do the show tonight if that's when I'm supposed to finish off? And am like, don't worry about it. We'll, we'll cut you over oh, it because really? they could see, you know, I think they could see, the being an art college, they could see the potential in me. And I ended up getting the opportunity to... To go to live in America for a year. Oh, um, really? Yeah, so my my grandma and grandpa, who got me into magic, they were my great-grandparents. Okay. That's my mum's grandma and grandpa. And my actual grandma, she moved to America when I was quite young with her husband, Martin, my granddad, who he was his company got bought out by an American company and then they flew him over there and basically he's lived there since as long as I can remember Mm. and he set up the company out in America um, and they've lived in Virginia and then Memphis and he works in the company and my nana out there, she's got 19 award-winning golden retriever dogs and she does all the dog shows. Wow. So for my, it was actually for my 18th birthday, she got me a flight out there and she sorted out of ease and everything so I could stay there because she's got a green card, she's been there so long. And yeah, I stayed there for like, it was like nine months, basically, travelling around the different um, places with her doing the dog shows. I'd help her do the grooming yeah. in the daytime, uh, making sure the dogs look nice. And then in the evenings, I would perform magic at the dog show after parties. <laughs> and then she'd give me some pocket money for performing, you know, and that's, that's yeah. how I'd... And, Whilst I was going to all these different like states, like you know, I went to like New Orleans, uh, where, which was one of the homes of like original street magic. Um, I went to uh, Las Vegas. I went like all over the place. And in the downtime, because I was obviously massively passionate about magic, and there's all these magicians I'd heard about from America, like David Copperfield, you know, like Siegfried and Roy, Penn and Teller, like the magic legends. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'd,
1: nodding. I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah. i I'd kind know.
0: of, uh, <laughs> I'd kind of track them down. Yeah. Like in the same way, you probably got singers and musicians and people you looked yeah. up to. Well, imagine like being like an eighteen-year-old g- guy just traveling around America with my nan and the dogs, basically <laughs> sharing an RV with nineteen dogs. Like right? it's crazy. And then just going and you know meeting my heroes, meeting yeah. people that I'd only read about in books, and, and they were like you know they were so gracious with their time and they gave me so much advice. So when I came back from America, from seeing because these magicians had carved out a career in the States and everyone in England was telling me you can't do magic for a living so I almost came back with like a blueprint of a business plan Mm -hmm. but then
1: so you were a grafter from a really young age really
0: yeah I mean growing up where I grew up you it was dog eat dog Mm. you had to fend for yourself you know I remember I would you know there was times when we needed to pay for we had um, this electric key card yeah. where you pay, you pay like a fiver or a tenner to put electric yeah, on and like if it runs that. out you have to run down to the shop and top it up <laughs> yeah. so I remember doing um, busking doing magic in the pubs and stuff and passing around the pint glass for like a pound or whatever mm. just to get enough money to pay, pay for the electric in the house so mm-hmm. you know I remember like even from a young age we had to kind of do that sort of thing but then when I came back from America I was all set with this business plan I had this master plan I was going to take over the world and then my crones kind of set me back, I was in hospital.
1: So is that the first time you knew that you had Crohn's?
0: I got diagnosed when I was 14. Right. But up until then, I'd I'd had a, like an operation and stuff like that, but I had, I'd managed, I'd kind of not had a major flare-up, mm-hmm. but I had a massive flare-up when I was 18, uh, beginning. To, I, I got back from America, I think, about a month before my 19th birthday, and I was literally all set to make this master plan, bring it to fruition, and then ended up in hospital and I was in there for six months. They had wow, to do this big operation. Times. I had to learn to walk again because they cut right through my nervous system in my abdominal area. So, like, literally, like, I had to, like, I couldn't walk for like three months out of that six.
1: So I never knew that Crohn's could have that sort of effect on you, like not well, being able to walk. Or that just never would. Have there was an, my mind. a
0: massive abscess developed in my bowel. Right. We had to cut it out. Okay. Um, so yeah, that was that was a crazy period of my life. But then. That experience made me think, all right, I'm 100% going to make magic happen.
1: This episode of Open Mind is brought to you in association with Very.co.uk. Relaxation is really good for you. For a star, it can help to lower blood pressure and improve concentration and mood. So the more you chill, the better you feel, which gives you a great excuse to check out Very's range of products designed to help you unwind, including night body butter, bath soaks, scented candles and cosy jumpsuits. It's time to live well, sleep well eat well and spend well at very.co.uk. See, it could have made you go the other way, though, couldn't it? Like, you could have been just given up at that point and been like, I've come back with this amazing idea, I'm going to do it, and then end up in hospital for six months, learn to walk again and think.
0: Yeah, like, Like, I've never really had that outlook on life. mm. Like, I've always been a bit of a go-getter, and I... You know, I guess being a magician, you have to believe anything is possible because that's yeah. what I do. I make the I make the impossible happen.
1: And it's so annoying.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so then, fast forward a little bit, I finally get out of hospital, and I'm you know I'm kind of you know oh, still got this mission in my mind, but I didn't know how to get the money. I knew what I wanted to do. It was big, it was um, the birth of kind of like, but this was like I'd say two thousand and four, two thousand and five era. And I wanted to buy a laptop and a camcorder because I wanted to start making YouTube videos. Mm-hmm. This was before being YouTube famous was a thing. Yeah, right. I was an OG on YouTube. <laughs> put that out there, everyone knows. <laughs> yeah, and um, and I wanted to. The idea was to basically capture my magical moments. You know, like go around, blag my way into places, film the whole whole thing. And I ended up, you know, blagging my way backstage with Coldplay, Snoop Dogg, uh, like you know, loads of. Like superstars and filming the reactions, and I think the I was so young and kind of cocky and like I yeah. had the cheeky Yorkshire charm. Um, I think people just liked the passion and liked the energy that I was bringing. So they were all, they were very welcoming mm. and filmed these things, put them on YouTube, and eventually I actually just to rewind a little bit, the money that I used to buy the laptop and the camcorder came from the Prince's Trust.
1: Oh wow, okay.
0: Yeah, cuz like I was saying, I didn't know how to get the money to get these things. I had this plan, but I did I just didn't have, you know, I couldn't get I couldn't that... get a couple of guns together back yeah. then. And I approached banks and they just laughed me out of the building, you know, like they see this little, you know, 19-year-old whippersnapper. I want to be a magician. So, yeah, and yeah. they just they weren't having none of it. But then a guy called Emil from the local youth club I used to go to called Mapper. Um, he introduced me to this guy called Tony. and It turns out Tony knew this guy called Prince Charles. You've probably oh, heard of him. No, yeah. I've
1: not heard of him. And
0: uh, <laughs> and he was he and Tony was a guy who basically he was a scout for people who get funding from the Prince's Trust. You know, he would he would become like a mentor uh-huh. and help you make my crazy business plan that I'd written in in my little notebook and make it into something that was real that could be presented to a a board Mm -hmm. and I went into this room and it was like a cross between like Dragon's Den and like (laughs) a BGT kind of audition (laughs) and I remember after the after the uh, interview I came out and Tony came and he says to me he goes they're going to give you the funding we don't normally tell you straight away they don't have a clue what your business is about, but they just loved your passion and they're blown away by the magic. Yeah. And they gave me £2,400 and I used that money to buy the camcorder and the laptop and started filming videos and I stopped really.
1: I just can't believe you've gone from like being pushed down hills in bins to like blagging your way into Snoop Dogg and Coldplay and like to keep that confidence and that passion going for so long is just, I don't know, it's like impressive.
0: Thank you. I, I mean, it 100% was partly naivety and kind of a whole faking it till you make it type thing. You know, I, mm-hmm. I was relentless. Mm-hmm. And I think if I was to say what would be my strongest uh, element, it definitely is patience. Like, oh, really? I definitely think I've got the patience of a saint, as the expression goes, because I've been knocked back so many times. Mm. But... I think I'm so passionate about what I do that all these knockbacks, I don't take them as negative things. I, t- I try and learn from each one because people, you know, like TV companies. Early on, it took me ten years to get a TV series. Mm-hmm. Ten years of pitching, getting, getting like doors closing our faces. Me and my manager Dan, we would, you know, we were trying to sell the concept of Magician Impossible for for ten years to the point where we were about to start just using any money we had ourselves just to make it and just put it on YouTube and we I think we scraped about 10,000 pounds together and then we were about to start making it and then we'd had like you know all the TV channels had kind of turned us down and then this new channel called Watch came around and we would never heard of them but we thought we'll take the meeting you know we went in there and we were like we'd already got it in our heads that we weren't going to Nothing was going to come in this meeting and we were going to like basically make the show ourselves and put it on YouTube and just try and make, you know, YouTube money um, to survive. And in the meeting, it was like they were asking, you know, they were, they loved the idea, but then they were like, all right, so what's it going to take to make us do this? And I was like... Mm -hmm. I just threw out some ridiculous numbers. <laughs> and they said yes to everything. <laughs> so then we ended up making this show on Watch, which back then was an unknown TV channel. Yeah. And it ended up, you know, it blew up like it was crazy. Like, I, I had no idea that the show would ever become mm. what it became. You know, from being this weirdo kid at school where people just didn't accept me and didn't like mm. me for who I was, to then be- becoming accepted by the nation, you know, it was like... After making Magician Impossible was possibly the first time that I felt totally comfortable being myself. Really? Yeah, because before then, I was kind of playing the part of what I thought people expected of me. And I was, like I said, I was faking it till I made it. You know, I was trying to play the part of Dynamo. Mm-hmm. Um, the name Dynamo, by the way, uh, and it came from a performance I gave in New York Early on in my, um, my magic performing career, on that trip when I was there, with, with the traveling, um, doing the dog shows, yeah. and I was in New York. Uh, there was a big, like, magicians uh, kind of conference where all the top magicians were meeting. To It was 100 years, I think, since the, the celebration of one of Houdini's big stunts. Okay. Something like that. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was a it was a centennial event for in honor of Houdini, mm-hmm. and all the magicians were there, and I was performing, and halfway through my, back then I was just Stephen the magician. Mm-hmm. It's not quite got the same influence. No. it. And halfway through the performance, a guy stands up and he goes, "This kid's a dynamo," right? And, and it's kind of stuck. You know, for the rest of the week, all the top magicians there from, you know, David Copperfield to all all these big magic names that were like my idols would call me the Dynamo Kid. And it it kind of became the the name, obviously. I'm not a kid no more, so it's just Dynamo now. But that's where the name came from. Where do you
1: think this mindset comes from, though, of like being confident enough to go into these places and kind of, you know, convince them that you're the person that they need to do the TV show with to kind of stick to your guns and keep going...
0: I actually think it was from the rough upbringing Mm -hmm. because, like, Delphal Estate, where I lived at the time, I know that, like I said earlier on, but going through some of these experiences, I didn't realise that they weren't normal. I just thought that's life for everybody. And some of the times were, like, you know, if I could deal with getting beaten up on the estate every day, then, in some respects, walking out, on stage and performing magic is a walk in the park. Mm. Obviously, don't get me wrong. I still get nervous going on stage. You know, I, you know, of course, I am going to be anxious about doing things, and especially with all the pressure that comes with, you know, with my uh, shows being as notorious as they are now. There is a level of expectation that people expect, and I always want to give the best performances I can. You know, for me, like it's never good enough. Do you know what I mean? I am always striving to to do better. But I'm like, you know, I see myself as like a student of, mm-hmm. of the art form of magic and student of, you know, student in life in, in general. I don't feel like I really learned anything till I left school. Yeah. And I, I learned, I guess, street smarts, which I think ha- going through all of that stuff made me think if I can survive that, then, you know, then everything else will be easier.
1: And how did you find then going from this, little kid that only a small amount of people knew about to then being famous I suppose like in the industry did that affect you in any way or
0: yeah i did shy away from it when it when it first kind of happened it was overwhelming mm. i've always been quite a shy guy even though i'm when i perform like i feel invincible but if you've seen me like 10 years ago like i wouldn't have maybe been able to have a confidence to just sit here and have a candid conversation with you without throwing in loads of magic to try and hide behind the magic. the Magic was my identity back then and it was my comfort blanket mm. in some respects. I've spent a lot of my life on my own and magic has brought people together and brought yeah. people into my life. So now all these people um, who have supported me, who may have made me feel a bit overwhelmed at the time, have actually, you know, they're the people that have given me the most comfort. Yeah. Yeah, like I was was on this massive high, you know, from this tour, um, which had far exceeded my expectations. And then I was finally ready to get back onto TV. And so three years ago, I started making the TV show Beyond Belief, um, which is finally going to hit screens on Sky One later this year in April. And literally, I'd started making this show and then the Crohn's got me again, mm-hmm. and I was in hospital. I had a crazy bout of food poisoning combined with Cro- Crohn's, which is like the worst kind of possible thing, you know, you could have. If you've got Crohn's, food poisoning is not the one. Right. And I was literally vomiting blood. Blood blood was coming out of everywhere. It's horrible. Nice. And that was, like, happening for, like, you know, I was in hospital for about four or five weeks. But you they, must
1: have been gutted if you were finally back on doing your TV show and then had to kind of put everything on hold again.
0: Yeah, like, I, I mean, it that hiatus went on for like two years mm. because I, although I ended up getting out of hospital from the Crohn's flare-up, the infection stayed inside my body for six months and I didn't realise it and it caused new things to happen, um, which one of them was arthritis, which right. which basically... Got so bad that at one point I couldn't even shuffle cards anymore.
1: So that must have. Would you not terrified that you wouldn't be able to do magic again?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I did think it was over at that point for magic. I think I thought my career in magic was potentially over, and it did feel like the worst feeling ever. Like, I've, mm. you know, definitely was. Yeah, I was on the verge of kind of hitting depression, I guess. But then. I don't know what happened. I, I think it was partly due to all the, the drugs that the doctors were giving me in hospital because I was really high in hospital. <laughs> right. I, like, and I ended up... Like, I, I had this mad binge where I was just... I had no internet in the hospital and no TV or anything. And I was on quarantine because they thought I might have been contagious. So I just had loads of books and I had my notepad. And in the, like, in the space of, like, three weeks in the hospital... I remember, like, basically devouring these books and then filling my little black book full of new magic ideas. Mm-hmm. But they were magic ideas that didn't require me to do the magic. They, they It was me essentially empowering other people to perform the magic okay. with me as a conduit. Because bearing in mind that then I thought that literally my dexterity was gone because of the, you know, with the arthritis and with the things I was having to deal with. So... I somehow kind of reinvented a new approach to magic.
1: You just seem to have this amazing quality of being able to turn like rubbish situations into great ones.
0: I think that life's about perspective. Mm -hmm. And there's always two ways of looking at something. And I think there is always some positive that you can take from any negative situation. Me... Getting that food poisoning ended up, in my opinion, causing me to hit rock bottom, and then I ended up finding a new side of me and a new approach to magic that I didn't even, well, probably would have never even considered mm. if I had just kept going on my normal trajectory. So then, in that way, it was a blessing in disguise.
1: Because your your body image and everything changed, didn't it? From was that from the medication that you were on?
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I was. I so. One of the medications that they give people when they're, you know, when they're going through Crohn's and going through some of the things I was going through is quite a lot of, as out there, so a lot of people have Crohn's, and the, one of the main reasons why there is no cure for Crohn's is because every single case is different. Right. Like no two people have it the same way. Or like some of my symptoms are different from normal Crohn's sufferers because. I've had operations which has removed certain parts of my body, which means my body functions differently right. on the inside whilst I was in this in the hospital and going through all this stuff and I'd created all this you know this new magic like I ended up when I got out of hospital eventually, I was like a new person, and I ended up creating you know beyond belief the t v show that's coming out later on this year is very different from the show that I started making three years ago. Mm. Obviously, some of the stuff that I filmed three years ago is in there. um, And I was documenting things when I was in hospital, what I could on my my camera phone. I couldn't really have the TV crews in there occasionally, but, you know, Mm. it was quite tricky. Um, There's a lot of things, obviously, I didn't want people to see. Um, But, yeah, I think the whole experience, it was like, you know, It's made for some of my best work ever. And it's the adversity that caused that. Mm. Life's about uh, overcoming obstacles. Like every single one of us has difficult things we have to go through. And I think, you know, it's all perspective and just having, you know, that resilience to just try and not let things hold you back is like, that's that's something that, you know, we need to teach kids at school.
1: Well, I have to say, I have found you absolutely fascinating. I've hardly said a word. I'm just like, you're so inspirational. And to hear just everything that you've gone through and the way you just managed to turn things around, you're like the opposite of me. I'm like, so easily defeated. And my go to thing is like, oh, this is going to be bad. And you're such a glass full kind of person. So I can't wait to see your show. And I hope that everybody watches it and I think you should do talks I think you should go and do like big talks and tell people like how to kind of take rubbish things and turn them around into amazing things I think you're great so thank you thank you very much thanks for coming on I can't wait to watch it and
0: everyone should buy your book I I, I was reading it um, I've just been out filming in Dubai and and when I wasn't filming I was reading your book on the sidelines and yeah it's very inspirational as well so um, yeah man thank you for having me that's
1: all right. (laughs) Open Mind the podcast is sponsored by very.co.uk.